Welcome to Nameless Debate Radio, where radioactivity is contagious. You can join us in broadening our minds on the Nameless Debates Discord via the link below, and even feature here yourself, if you've got what it takes. Oh, yeah, and it looks like uh, Brendan's here. Yeah. <laughs> there he is, brother. I am, I am multitasking. Ch- uh, yeah, are you chatting with Josh through text? Oh, yeah. And, nice. Uh, and but I wanted to 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 listen at least and and uh, get caught up on where you guys are at. So yeah, dude, I'm loving all this uh, cross crossing streams, cross pollination. Pollination, that's right. I'm into it. Yeah, so, dude, mm-hmm. Matt, uh, Brendan sent me like a couple uh, lovely uh, sexy voice messages this morning. <laughs> <laughs> And like uh, one of them was, let me see if I can recapture it. Because uh, we were talking in our architecture of belief conversation about like the, like I almost kind of shit talked gurus and snake oil salesmen, and I kind of try to. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, what do you mean almost? You totally did shit talk them. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I, I came off a little harsher than I should have. And he pointed I don't know, out. Man. I thought that you were on point personally. <laughs> there, there is something to be said though about the the few genuine ones that do exist out there. Uh, I guess so, but I think if we like, it, for instance, a snake oil salesman, there's no such thing as a genuine one. That term explicitly refers to someone who is scamming you, essentially. Yeah. So what is the what is the origin of that? Is it somebody who is selling? Um... I think it's like you sm- sell snake oil as an elixir or something like that. Yeah, well, it was. It was to and you say that it does these things to treat, to treat you know, snake venom, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And so the the idea is that if you get bit and it doesn't work, like they're not going like, to be able to come after you because they're dead. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that may well be it. Hey, eh? I'm saying classic. I'm, I'm making that up right now. I'm trying to 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 figure it out. And oh, my head, me, but mm-hmm. that is that's one how way good your to imagination is. Yeah. It's definitely got something to do with products that don't work and pretending that they do. Yeah, and if it th- that sounds accurate to me, Brendan, That's like if it doesn't work, then we should play instead. Well, like let me let me put it. Let's talk about uh, Osho for a second because I watched uh, Wild Wild Country on Netflix not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And when I was watching a lot of the like footage of him, the the look behind his eyes had that sparkle and glimmer that I recognize in myself as the kind of like divine trickster or something like that. And there was this behind the trickster. Yeah, there was this like he was able to hide behind a veil a, a vow of silence, and he set up a rapport with several people that would do his. His bidding based on simple kind of uh, embodied knowledge between like the relationship of humans. So he, like knew how mm-hmm. to play people, so to speak. But I think that was him. You think you think that was his? If you watch any of his work, like his work outside of Wild Wild Country. Yeah. Okay. So I my introduction to him when I I, I was I think nineteen years old and I just discovered Buddhism. And I bought this giant encyclopedia, you know, style book on Buddhism, Zen, Tao, and Tantra. By okay. And and it was just fantastic. I read the whole thing, you know, cover to cover, and it was a huge impact in my life. And I knew nothing about um, him other than that. And then I I uh, I meet my mother in law, you know. Pro- prior to being my mother-in-law. Right. Uh, and she was in self-realization fellowship, which is SRF is a, um, a lineage of gurus, um, starting with Babaji, Yukiteshwar. I think I, I went through that and ending up with um, Yogananda. Okay. And they, and she knew of, you know, Osho from like the Rolls Royces and the, having sex with his, um, followers and stuff, and yeah, and so I went and researched that, and he he could care less about the the uh, Rolls Royces. What's interesting is, so I actually I stayed at um, 
a, a peace pagoda, and I met one of his students, which is who's now a master. And she said that he he if it, if an interviewer wanted to go and talk to him about his Rolls Royces, he would talk to them about his Rolls Royces. But if he, they wanted to go and talk to him about you know spirituality or or something deeper than that's what he would talk about so he was he, he was the trickster you know you you couldn't tell by a conversation um you know that you're having with him if or by you know if you're listening to an interview by someone who's asking about his rolls royces you think that he's really into his rolls royces and you know, he's got 99 oh wait it's 100 kind of thing yeah playing the playing the role really well yeah and yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I could do that. I, I think that I'd have a hard time personally, like pretending to be something that I'm, that I'm not. Mm-hmm. Maybe he wasn't, mm-hmm. maybe he is both. But, um, that's, it, that's essentially what I'm trying to highlight though, is that like, it's, it, there's a benign aspect to the role that he was playing that was in essence, like dominoes falling. Like he knew the outcome of his experiment in uh, in United States, I'm almost certain of that. Like, y- you can kind of see the way that like every every uh, gosh, what is it? Every move that was made was strategic, is what it looked like. And I think that he knew in the way that his like right hand woman, how her characteristics, the way that she was as a person, that that was going to be advantageous for him to let her read into his vow of silence as something holy when in essence it was really just him knowing how to how to play the human game like he was playing a metagame while they were playing a game and so he could see like a layer above that wasn't necessarily like i and this is my own point of view like i i don't really view spirituality as uh as a necessary function of humanity the way that gurus tend to do and insofar Mm -hmm. as i I equate spirituality with a type of i've taken my imagination and its content seriously and or sincerely and or sacredly and that sacred space which i think we all can kind of we can all relate to that there's some things that are just you know you cannot touch that don't don't talk about my mom that way. Don't diss my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Those type of weird spaces that like you can read it in a person's boundaries, if you will. And those boundaries that exist in terms of our biology get kind of transposed into the imagination and then p- people take it and run with it. And the ones that know, which I would presume Osho is being one of those that knew, he knew how to play that game, how to step from the game into the metagame, from the metagame, into a padded game with people and private and then let them read into it as they were going to and then never correct them because he had a vow of silence or i don't know if he broke the vow of silence in private who knows uh that was my analysis of the way that he was portrayed in that documentary that's just my point of view based on my own experience but uh, so is this wild wild west that you're talking about or yeah yeah, it's wild, it's wild like my country, it? yeah wild 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 co- country yeah wild wild country. Yeah. So it's and a it's, documentary, you say? Yeah, and dude, that's the one that I memed you on. Like I I put mm-hmm. some datalogical yeah, sentences, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, "I want that guru out of my out of my town." <laughs> <laughs> that lady looked amazing. Mm, uh, definitely, I might have to yeah, give this, it a watch. Man. It's it's good, man. It's really informative in terms of what I'm at least gesturing towards in terms of game mm-hmm. metagame and patagame mm-hmm. contextualizes it a bit and like i like brendan like i'm interested because i'm not actually even trying to diss on spirituality it's it's to me a very valid it's just and poetic... an accident guys <laughs> <laughs> you it's like because i do kind of i think i come off harshly when i'm speaking down on gurus and uh, maybe well I, th- I think that there's there's cause for that there's um mm-hmm. good and that's i think where, where i was going was was that you know when you meet three bad gurus 
um, who mm -hmm. take your money. And I think I also mentioned, you know, shamans, particularly um, mm. ones that are in popular Western, you know, like people who are doing ayahuasca tours um, in the Amazon. Um, and, and, and so it does become the snake, uh, snake oil salesman, you know, it, it does. So, so our perceptions um, are limited and then we generalize to the whole because it's you know mm -hmm. easier to do that mm -hmm. and and the the okay. definition efficient in some sense right the definition of the word kind of is just contextual to to our personal history and experiences of mm -hmm. of what that means so, yeah absolutely yeah it's a good so point if you look at if you, do you are you familiar with ram das yeah, I actually love that oh, guy. Yeah, that guy's crazy, bro. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Neem Karoli Baba was was his guru, and the story of him meeting Dude, him. The worst was Osho. You know Osho? Yeah, that's what we were just talking about, man. Yeah, that guy's the worst, man. He tried to poison <laughs> another town. What the fuck? <laughs> it wasn't him. It was. Uh, uh, just just to quickly follow on it. And um, then. I might just randomly drop out. If I do, you guys should continue to chat. But, dude, I don't know how to undo the recording. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. Okay. Um, yeah, one, one of the other staff members will take care of it when you guys are done. Nice, um, okay. Just in terms of, like, my phone might go flat. So. Gotcha. Thank you for the heads up. Yeah, all good. So, uh, Ram Das, though? <laughs> yeah, no worries, man. Yeah, to, to, to hear the story of his guru, of him meeting his guru, um, is pretty pretty amazing. Um, yeah, wasn't it like a really beautiful exchange? And I've, I've only read Be Here Now and yeah, watched a couple documentaries of him. Yeah, so uh, Love, Serve, Remember is, is his big yo, documentary. Yo, yo. Um, so well, he, gurus are fucked up, but like... Have you had a psychedelic? Like, what psychedelics <laughs> do you do? Well, come on, Terrence. <laughs> no, no, no. Terrence, Terrence, come on. Why? Why? Because, mate, most of us know what we're talking about. Okay, you don't have to check. Yeah, yeah, we're good, man. We've we've been there. Okay. What was your highest? As we were saying. We we'll, we can get to that well, later, but like, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm interested in what the line of reasoning uh, B. Tomasi is is on. Mm -hmm. Tomasi. Tomasi. It's me. Yeah. Um, so what, the the night before he met um, Neem Karoli Baba, he was thinking about his mother who had passed, and um, and you know something about the the sky and everything, and. And so when the next day when, when they approached him, uh, he, he, he was reluctant, you know, there, everyone was coming up and touching his feet and, and even you know, in India, it's, it's, you know, something that you, you, you don't do that to somebody in, in a, in a ca certain caste system. Mm. Um, but the um, untouchables, right. But, in, but in America, we, you know, we don't touch other people's feet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so he didn't do it. You know, he was Mr. Harvard um, psychology professor and everything. Right. Uh, and, and so Neem Crowley Baba says to him, he's like, you know, last night you were, you're looking, you're, you're thinking about your mother and like told him some of the things that he couldn't have known without, you know, some sort of um, extrasensory perception. And, um, and then, and then their relationship grew. He, he said, you know, he couldn't spend enough time with them and, he he embodied Hanuman, the the you know helper monkey deity. Oh, that's the, right. Yeah, the Ramayana, um, helping the helping out Sita and Ram reunite. Um, but then, uh, so to, to to bring up psychedelics, Ram Das was was big with um, Timothy Leary and Ken <laughs> Kesey and the bunch, and so he he actually. So he, he had some with him in India. And, uh -oh. One of my kids is up. <laughs> uh, 
Hold on one second, guys. I'll take that, man. <laughs> so I'll, I'll continue speaking. Um, and uh, so Neem Crowley Baba says, you know, that stuff that you take, uh, you know, what is that? I'd like to try some. And Ramdas was like, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea and, and stuff. And so he he convinces him to give it to him and he gave him quite a bit and absolutely nothing happened. And, you know, as much as you could internalize it and, and um, maybe not outwardly express that you're having a, an intense interior experience, um, you know, I, I'm at least swept by the story that it was, um, it was, you know, nothing. I'm still here, man. So. That's just, you know, one guru. I mean, there's um, like the Yogananda. I mean, his, his book, um, Autobiography of a Yogi, is, is phenomenal. Um, you know, accept it as poetry um, and as a, a work of fiction, um, even though many people take it as nonfiction. Um, but even as, I don't believe a charlatan can be that good. I don't think I've ever really gained insight from a charlatan and um you know. I, I might have a little bit of a different point of view there like i do think that we could gain insight from a charlatan perhaps but the specifics are not coming to me because i'm just trying to <laughs> all right baby she's she's chill now nice that's my girl all right man. so let's see like uh the idea that's coming to mind is like if Hitler said something true because it's Hitler, was it less true? That's not true. Oh, that's what, kind of where we were going on last night, right? Yeah. Actually, I brought that up recently to, to somebody who posted a quote, you know, by Hitler and, and I, and reading it and I'm like, you know, didn't really spark anything. I was like, Oh, you know, that's a solid quote. And then all of a sudden you read Hitler and you're like, Oh, now I go back and I'm reading through like, what are the, what are the, what, are the, what does he mean by that? You know, he's yeah. some words about like cultural striving and, or something like that. And I was just like, Oh, like now I know what he means by that. You know, you get more layers to it. Right. So the, yeah. You have to frame it for sure. Yeah. It frames it a little differently. And I, I do agree that like a charlatan, charlatan conferring some type of wisdom, it's, it's not likely. But I do think it's possible, especially if we can't know that it's a charlatan. Like getting into the intentionality behind a person, like even in terms of Osho, like my speculations on him are, they're, they're just that. They're, they're speculations based on my own experience and what I imagine myself as being capable of doing if I were in his same situation. They don't even actually look at him as good, bad, or indifferent. Like I look at him as like a example of a human that like actualized to the fullest degree that he could based on his potential and the culture that he was somewhat uh, sprouted from wasn't as conducive to his purposes as American culture was. But American culture at the time that he came, like if someone tried that today, I don't think the same thing would happen. In the same way that I don't think like an L. Ron Hubbard could happen again in today's day and age. Like what I'm what I'm kind of getting at is that a lot of these experiences that people gain wisdom and insight from, it's it's almost as if in the same way that you and I are trying to regard words just in general like we can clear them of their meaning and then kind of repurpose them for a more purified framework that happens to be able to extrude insights further into the future, whatever, like however it is that we're going to try and make things understandable to our own minds. Like we also then like the, the point you made about acknowledging that other people can still get triggered by any word. And that doesn't just go away because we, we choose to make agreements about them. Mm -hmm. So like a little bit of what's swirling for me right now is that it's not like I disagree with gurus in general, and I definitely don't equate them as snake oil cells. Smells in, in, in spite of the fact that 
for efficiency, I kind of lump them all together, even when they're good. Let's, right. so let's say the good, bad, and the indifferent of all of those categorical wise people, which mm-hmm. I would even in some ways lump ourselves in. We can only know, we can only know so much before we almost have to pass the torch or the mic, as it were, to try to make sense of the striving for philosophical understanding or the striving for even self-understanding. Like, I only really know you because, or I'm, I'm sorry, I know myself better because of how much you and I are able to share our thoughts in this exact way. Like, you help me reflect based on the relationship, the relativity of, well, let me just spit some of this out at you. And then you, wherever you're at, you, you do the same and spit it back out at me. Right. Um, that's, it's, a, it's a group effort, for sure. And I think that's the way, right there, that group effort feeling. That gurus in general of the past, maybe they've been open to that, maybe they haven't. Maybe there's like a... Maybe there's a subtle realization that that is something that they could and should do. Uh, but that might just be my preferences speaking. I do think that that is what sets us apart, though. The fact that we're actually open to being wrong, open to acknowledging our limits, because in those limits, there's some... Oh, dude, that's what came to mind. It was the cognitive trade-off hypothesis. Like, you were talking about species. And how, like... uh, Are you familiar with the terms... Say that again? I was going to say that the Chihuahua and the Great Dane are both dogs, but... That's it. Yeah, go for that. Say that part. Um, just that, you know, scientists have delineated a, a limit on what const- what's the constitution of a dog. And I'm sure there's a good explanation for it, but it is self-imposed. You know, why is a raccoon, you know, a cousin of a dog, but a chihuahua and a... Great Dane considered the same species. Right. Chihuahuas are big rats. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. And, and Great Danes are horses, so. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's <laughs> exactly right. Uh, thank you for being jokey with me, too. Uh, so that point right there is that's a little bit of the, the point of instruction that I think we can gain from this in that uh, when I offer my limited frame of reference, it is contextualized by what it is that you can notice and point out from the nuance of your frame of reference. And then in that exchange, we pattern a little bit of what might be actually beyond just that Chihuahua to Great Dane framing of it. Like We can even call that the taxonomy, because I don't know if it's science exactly, but it is a type of categorization. And the way that dogs are categorized, the, the boundaries at the extremes, they're, they're, they're necessarily arbitrary because otherwise a bear would be a dog as well. And uh, like you can, you can kind of keep on finding a, a point of similarity where someone is drawing the comparison and eventually you just have to tell people to stop you know, coming up with new ideas. So... I mean- Ultimately, we all fall into the category of existing. And totally. So you can start there, you know, with one. Um, and then there's, there is an infinite variety, or I think you prefer the term eternal. I don't know. Or, sure or uncountable. It. And there is a distinction that I make between infinite and eternal, but I don't think Matt agrees with it. Yeah. Okay. This is just one that has served me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with, with all that variety, um, humans and, and being as clever as we are um, make, you know, artificial distinctions that help to um, focus our attention. And, you know, totally. if, if you go and get your, you know, college degree in engineering, is that enough? I mean, some, some places will hire you because you have an engineering degree regardless of whether it's civil engineer or chemical engineer, when they really have nothing in common, they might've had a few crossover basic classes, but 
um, you know, the, the, the degree of specificity um, helps for the intellect and mind. Um, mm-hmm. And technicalities and, and all that. Right. And so the, what it, you know, what, what is the value of that? You know, it is going to depend on what we're trying to do and, um, and what scope or. Yeah. And like being able to switch between the utility, I think is, is desirable. Like the thing that I was going to try to mention, like of there's a word that I love called subitize. And it means it's a type of counting that isn't counting up to like maybe five to seven items. Children, I mean, humans can just immediately apprehend there's seven objects on that desk and without counting. And then after that line, I think seven or eight is where it gets fuzzy. Then it turns into a form of counting. And so in the... I think it's chimpanzees. Uh, what's his name? The guy that does Vsauce videos. He has a series on YouTube called Mindfield. And in the third season, he's got this cognitive trade-off hypothesis video where it essentially shows... <laughs> she's saying Twinkle Little Star. Twinkle. I do that too. That's so sweet. You can keep singing, honey. So there's like a, a chimpanzee research institute in Kyoto, Japan. And the tests that they can get some of these uh, chimps to do, like humans can't even do these things. They're like, they're basically subitizing number sequences on a screen in half a second and can put nine or more... Uh, numbers in order after after a half a second of seeing the order to get a treat so (laughs) it's like this unhuman capacity to just maybe it's intuitively apprehend it or somehow but like they're saying that the that the human version of our species uh traded off that capacity for language and i mean it's quite an awesome capacity and look at how far we've gotten with it but we can't for some reason like go back to that almost pure animal state that was in many ways just a part of nature intrinsically as opposed to able to reflect all the ways that we're outside of nature. And I think you, you posted something about uh, Earthling recently. Uh, yeah. Dude, that one woke me up too. Like when I first heard the term speciesism, I was like, exactly, that's the point of view that like, we all kind of we don't realize that we're putting ourselves at the top of a hierarchy when if you were to you know, change a few things about culture and society and you know, every prepper's wet dream comes true and some walking dead scenario takes place, there's, there's a whole different structure that would emerge mm-hmm. given just a few changes in the way that things are going down these days you think about so, it even uh, i don't know if you have lyme disease where you are but even like the uh, yeah. degree, the the degree to which people you know will not go outside they won't garden they won't hike they mm-hmm. won't play sports they won't do anything outside because of ticks and yeah the risk of it right and i mean i know a lot of people that got pretty messed up with lyme disease but um you know it's 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 who's alpha right wait you cut out right there man say that last part again so who's alpha you know oh yeah is it an insect ultimately totally like the tardigrades are something microscopic perhaps or a parasite right yeah yeah Yeah. and that's that's the point man like when you take a speciesist point of view instead of just like humanist like i would (laughs) think putting ourselves back into the animal kingdom but then just realizing that we're doing that so that kind of self-reflective admission that we're a part of the food chain, not outside of it. Uh, that there is some, some insights that can be gained based on the pros and cons of all species interacting in a kind of ecological or symbiotic manner. Uh, I don't know that that analysis has ever been done, but I'm so keen on at least conceptualizing it. Yeah, and, and, and on the subject of alpha, the, the way that you know, it has evolved where in, in our society, 
um, the alpha male is not necessarily Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. Um, it's Bill Gates, right? <laughs> yeah, it's shifted over time. Yeah, because... Because it probably used to be the guy that was strongest, and then... Right. Know. The cash value of what is fitness has evolved totally. uh, in, in our society, and it's as much as it's an artificial... Um, you know, because that's what protection is. It's security is, is, is financial security. It's no longer, you know, physical dominance, mm -hmm. but even, even within exercising, um, you know, if you look at advertisements for exercising in the 1940s, it's all people like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, like that was the only people who worked out were the people that were, were, you know, bodybuilding and, yeah. Like you know, get a girl this way, and and that's how it was. You know, picture the beach buds of the '90s with Baywatch and everything. Oh yeah. Um, and now, like CrossFit, and there's all these other things that people are just trying to be fit and healthy. They're not trying to get huge, the way. So you, so even you know, in, in a smaller way, um, our our um, habits are being formed by our desires being formed by. Um, are I don't know. It's it's this give and take, this pull push of of individuals in society, and someone who gets popular for doing something, and then it becomes a trend. Dude, right? It's that visionary, and then the trailblazer, you know, the trailblazer, and then it's the um, you know, marketer, businessman comes along, and right, you know, right. yeah, um, and blows right. it up for better or worse, you know. Yeah, and then it takes on a life of its of its own. Which, from the current way that we analyze information, it's just it is somewhat beyond human capacity to get an accurate analysis or measurement. Even so, when people are casting their uh, their best hypotheses about how it is that we can direct the the interests of our species, so as to you know, not kill ourselves while we're trying to survive and make ends meet across the planet for that matter. Mm -hmm. Like there's always this, um, this impulse to kind of break from the past and pave the future. But I liken that a bit to driving through a desert in an old beat down Cadillac that, you know, you're going to have to get to your destination and the the vehicle, whether it's a hybrid or not, is is kind of irrelevant. Like it'd be great if it was, but you kind of got to get there in what you're. Got to you got to start where you're at, so to speak. Yeah, that's right. And uh, the tendency that I see, at least when I was able to break free of the pure anarchist kind of destroy the system mentality, <laughs> like I I no longer have this idea that like things need to change drastically or a whole system overhaul is what's needed in order for things to be good or right. I, I almost think that it's just our mind. Like if we could change our minds, that yeah. would be paradigm shifting just in that. Yeah. It's a, um, an, an evolution instead of a revolution. Yep. The evolution of the revolution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. So, Let's see. I'm, I'm hoping that we're not steering too far off into like the future here, but like, because <laughs> that's, that's where my future sites are set. They, they're aimed at something symbiotic. And that's at least a statement of intent in terms of where most of my conversations are trying to plant the flag and say, well, ultimately, if we figure out what's pragmatic here and now in this conversation, and we start to develop a methodology and we get to know each other's language. I know what you mean when you say X and you know what I mean when I say Y. We, right. we really begin to calibrate that meaning-making mechanism within ourselves. And in so doing it, perhaps we share it with the only part of ourselves that, like you and I both as fathers, we share it with our family. And maybe that's the only part we ever really actually get to influence in the way that this actually is intending to make that change or shift in like, it, like I said, it's just, I'm just trying to find a way that we can change minds and of, of the minds that I think, go ahead, man. How important is that to you is to have, <sighs> I that. think it's, 
Is it, is, would you call it a potency? It's a very, it's a potent, like I'm seeking the equation of it almost. Mm. And, or the algorithm, because I, I do feel like there's something to it in when you watch a comedian, so to speak, and they can express something that's so, it's them. Like you can see that it, that's a true, <laughs> like desire expressed forthrightly. And they're not, they have no qualms about being judged about it. They just love the thing that they're talking about. Yeah, they're openly, and it, it sets people free. They can like let their gut hang because the comedian, you know, he, he was so gracious in expressing the fact that he's less than perfect or she. Like, there's just that, there's something that changes in the tone of a, of a group and it's palpable. And like you said, the potency of me wanting to figure out how it is that minds can be changed, not necessarily only through comedy, but through reasonable dialogue, through the ways that we can relate on the things that we already agree on, let those agreements serve as the foundation, and then kind of expand out to the edges where we start to disagree. And either we, you know, look at why, or we go double back onto the space where it's already well-founded. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's 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 um, you know necessarily to, are, are we building uh, scaffolding or are we building the building, right? Because the scaffolding mm. is a temporary structure that totally. we need to, um, I guess, uh, postpone or uh, not to postpone, but to um, to mediate an experience yeah. until. You, you build the building, right? Or, or you're, yeah. probably a better example where if the bridge is out, you might put something temporary in place. Yeah. Until you get the bridge fixed. Um, I think that's a perfect metaphor for this because in, in my mind, we're building the scaffolding placeholder. and the placeholder. And then the, the building itself comes down when both of us are so inspired and overflowing with the parts that we can't remember of its provisional nature that we have to start writing it down. Right. And then that, to me, starts to take the shape of what it is that's being built. So mm. when the words are written, that seems more like the building's plot. Mm. But until that point, I'm like always like, I'm fine with not building anything. If we just <laughs> keep it provisional until everyone's ready to start writing things down. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I have an interesting relationship with that as far as, you know, I'll get really excited and start writing stuff down. I'm like, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but you do, man. Like when you started to describe how it was something technical or technological and you actually had a, a fairly working sketch of the conceptual inner workings of, uh, I think it was like, it was last night, but you were talking about something technological. Well, you might I, remember. I, I think that... You know, you received that from your level of, you know, cognition, and that is not universal. And so I was actually just about to ask you if you agreed with Matt and that you, there, the way that you know the truth is by, uh, I, I don't want to, you know, put words in his mouth, but just... Um, Everyone will understand it. You know what I mean? It, it kind of cut out a little bit. Um, like, uh, go ahead and put the words in his mouth. That's kind of where I left off. <laughs> I think Matt said something about um, the, way that, the way that he'll know that um, DM theory is true is that everyone will understand it. Mm. And, and I, I wanted to take that to task. Um, and totally. Just, tease that out because I don't, like I just said with you, I mean, you were able to receive that, but I don't know if that says anything about me or if it says anything about you, but it certainly I, says something about you and I. And yeah, moment. I agree, man. And I think it says something about the three of us even right. and the, the kind of preferences that we've set in terms of our philosophical standards. And I'm not even trying to act like mine are better or worse than any, than either of yours, because I know that mine suit me like that much is, is fair enough for me to assert I, because uh, I mean, it's, 
it's literally the thing that I have, I used to be religious. And then I went into like a whole wandering phase through each religion that I could. And then rejecting it entirely. Only to come back to a space where I'm like, well, the room that I was using in my brain, so to speak, that was for religious purposes. I don't need to shut that space down psychologically. I know I'm not religious anymore, but I would rather use this room because it's so like in the heart of the house. It's like the kitchen almost. Mm. Um, I'm in it every day, all the time. And why don't I make it philosophical now instead of religious? And that for me has, it's, it's worked wonders because in many ways I've told Matt that I've like repurposed my depression side of my, my own, my shit. <laughs> and, uh, I know that like the quote unquote obsession that I have with trying to find the truth and someone like Terrence McKenna once said something that resonated so deeply with me, which was uh, once I got over my ego trip of trying to be the one that figured it all out. Like he even talked about that time that he, he fantasized about that, you know, uh, my fellow Americans had given that speech where you just, you're broadcasting whatever it is that's in you. And it's to as large an audience as can be perceived. Uh, there's something in me that relates so totally to that expression, that admission even, that DM theory satisfied for me personally, in terms of finally being able to stand on what I consider to be solid ground after a decade or more of basically playing with the imagination. Mm. So for me, psychologically, I've had, I've, I used to have to spin around and do fancy metaphors all the time and then try to let that be like the magician's hand being shown. And here's what's up my sleeve on how I made that metaphor make sense. And here's what it meant to me. And here's what it should mean to you. And I went through this whole song and dance with trying to make the meanings of my words mean what I wanted them to mean in the way that I've even somewhat described in this conversation, right. but it going completely over people's heads or just like, no, like blank, blank stares behind people's eyes or dude, you're fucking crazy. You're, you're overthinking it. Like things that people could say about it. Uh, and, and, and I guess it's foremost important that it's, it's made sense to you and, and provided you know, like you said, that 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 structure in your life, um, but and that's that's the thing that I keep on coming up against is, does it make it any less true if not everyone agrees to it? And you know, we we would love for there to be this objective measure of you know, you know, say we're looking for the tallest man on earth and we find mm -hmm. one. I mean. You know, Guinness Book of World Records comes out with one every year, but we have, you know, in this day and age, a better track on how many people are exist and and how tall they are. But right. but um, you know, there's a time where I was like, oh, this guy's six foot two; he must be the tallest person, and and not know just not knowing about a guy in the next village over or something that that's you know taller. Um, but we're looking for like that that sign. That totally. Says, this is it. This is that, where's that neon sign that says, this is what I'm looking for. Yeah. Here's the tallest guy right here. Right. Right. And then could you trust that sign is the second thing because we would at first. Cause what's the next village over from that point. Right. And that's where, that's where we come across the guru, right? Or Dude, nice. Or, or is it the, the cloak, you know, in, in a, in an Orthodox religion, um, or the lab coat, you know, the, the scientist mm -hmm. lab coat. Um, and, and, and we are always exchanging, you know, turning in our, our belief systems for just other belief systems, just see, searching for that solid ground, searching for that one thing that can't be taken from us um, so that we have a place to stand. Yeah, man. That is, I mean, characteriz that characterizes it perfectly. With yeah. way less words too, <laughs> which I, I enjoy. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I mean, if, if we're in quicksand or in the mud, you know, everything we tried to build up on is just going to push us further and further into the mud. And so um, I think that's that security and that, you know, that, that that's what we're all looking for. Yeah, man. Well, that's, I think, what I'm coming to learn about in terms of presuppositionalism. Like, it seems as though just to open our mouths and make statements about the way things are that the very nature of that act is generally presupposing at least a, a handful of abstract concepts outright mm -hmm. and if you're religious it's going to be you know possibly more possibly less but if you're scientific i'm thinking that that space of presupposition is not it's not any less uh dogmatic like it's a space where we've almost um gone blind to the blind spot of it and then forgotten that we've gone blind to it yeah yeah well and i think that it, it's easier to do that when they are literally saying that they have replaced you know science has replaced religion in that belief system um but it's the same it's the same deal because instead of a few select um you know priests or ministers that are wearing robes saying that they have direct contact with god um mm -hmm. and 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 the rest of you need to believe what i say now you have a few um select scientists wearing lab coats who um do experiments and they come out of their labs and they tell everyone to believe what we well, believe what you know they say um mm -hmm. without and 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 so with you know there's there's better there's more access to much of science you know the, the hard sciences the um you know physics um is pretty easy to to verify with our own um, experience, but theoretical physics, um, mm. you know, like Stephen Hawking's, it's like theories based upon theories based on, you know, yeah. um, theoretical math. And it's like, you can't do that, you know? Yeah, it's not you for the, you haven't seen not it. Not for the average people, right? Right. Um, you, you can't, uh, but even then it's, it's like, you know, the math might line up, but the map is not the terrain. Yeah. And so if you think about um, Rudolf Steiner, are you familiar with him? I vaguely the name rings a bell, but I'm not familiar yeah. now. So he um, he actually had the Waldorf schools. You may have heard of that's them. it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm familiar with that. So he's a, he's a pretty cool dude, but he hung out with L. Ron Hubbard and Jack Jack Parsons, who was um, you know they're all hanging out with Aleister Crowley and right. Jack Parsons um, was the one who invented jet fuel, I believe, working for NASA. Interesting. Um, okay. But so uh, um, uh, Rudolf Steiner said something about, you know, we can measure the heart rate of a person now and then in three days and then in a year and, you know, figure out the variance there. And then we can project that, that variance. We can multiply it 200 times and, 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 and say what the variance of a heart rate would be for a 200 year old person. Um, you can extend that out, you know, a thousand years, you can, you know, whatever the hmm. math is the math, but what we all, we, we know that, you know, humans can't live that long. So it was a, it was a good example of, of how the math does not necessarily, even though it, it, it stands up, it, it, um, it pans out it's not what represents it's not representative of reality you know of the biology that is uh essentially doing the math <laughs> right right okay yeah. i think i see what you're saying uh so let me try to bring it back to the taking us to task on the understandability of our epistemic basis, namely DM theory. So the, the point that I, I believe Matt was trying to make, and this is my interpretation of his statement, is that uh, when he said 
something to the effect of whatever it is that's true about DM theory, if it would be understandable or irrefutable to all, that would be a test of its truth value, let's say. And that's, you know, a butchered paraphrase of my recounting of a statement. Now, my interpretation of that is that he doesn't necessarily mean that, that DM theory is the thing that is irrefutable. But as far as a current placeholder that stands the kind of deductive task of the rigor of logic and every other tool that we can bring to bear on what essentially boils down to the transcendent, we're in, namely, we're, we're in the territory of psychedelics and uh, gurus and shaman and wishful thinking and religions. And I mean, at best, we have science uh, as far as philosophy can reach in. People have been trying to get into that transcendental layer and take what was quicksand about it and then personalize it. And then we called that a Jesus. And then people would follow that character. And then it made sense and it worked and people were able to adapt and evolve better and better in terms of like Brett Weinstein's uh, position on uh, the, the kind of adapt, the adapt, uh, I'm sorry, the advantage that it gave to adaptive species, um, not species, populations. Uh, just by being religious, people were able to have better kind of moral instruction and group cohesion. And there's a whole list of reasons, but that's a mild tangent. So a little bit more back to the central point being when we, when we look at what it is that makes sense about the present moment, uh, the whole, for me, what I just have to say, the intellectual dark web conversation about truth and politics and humans and all of what we have come to know, this seems to be the best basis for starting that conversation. If and only if we can all agree that the axioms are worthy of a dialectic. Now, it is a specialized technical analysis that the people that would have that proclivity to that conversation should be able to have the capacity to understand it and accept it or understand it and reject it and or improve the basis so that it does work and its intended goal is thereby instantiated just in that act of finding the error and updating it accordingly. Right. So, so, so then go ahead. The yeah. Are they necessary? Do they necessarily have to update it, uh, update DM theory, let's say, or do they, is, is it customizable to their individual makeup um, or, or belief system? Um, so uh, it kind of own, cut out a bit. Does, does every person have their own rendition, uh, you know, of of DM theory, whereas they're not necessarily updating it, but they're um, customizing it to their own mm. um, being, to their own makeup, in order to have it make sense. I like that, man. I personally don't have a problem with that. Especially yeah. if, if you can find a way to like take whatever you would know about it. Like if, if we're talking about you specifically, if, if you've taken either uh, our conversations, my writings, Matt's writings, your understandings, your history, and amalgamated something that serves as that kind of equivalent DM theoretical basis, uh, I think that's fucking solid. Like, literally go for that <laughs> but then also let's check the check the tires of your thing that you got and maybe what it is that you have can enhance and be a booster kit to what it is that we have and even replace um you know because we we outgrow um we outgrow systems you know yeah when when they lo no longer serve us um it's very difficult to replace to to i'm sorry it's very difficult to 
remove or eject a belief system without something to replace it. And I For even sure. take this to, you know, politics. Everyone, you know, you know, let's get rid of Obamacare. It's like, well, what, you got to have something in place, you know, you absolutely too much <laughs> online. You know, if you really don't like it and you have something kind of makeshift in place, again, it's that scaffolding. Yeah. You know, not meant as a, as a, as a permanent fix. Um, but you need to have something in place. You can't let, that happened um, for sure you know so um and, and then at what point does um again getting back to the to the dog question you know nice, what yeah. what is what constitutes a dog is what constitutes dm theory um mm. how many uh, uh and this uh, uh what is the um it's a greek uh, is it theseus uh that, with the rock no with, with the with the boat oh yeah theseus um, ship yeah the, Right. Good point, man. Um, and so, you know, is it the same ship after replacing every piece um, on the ship, um, all the boards and everything? And, uh, you know, it depends on where you draw the line. What is the identity? What constitutes the identity? I mean, even our bodies, you know, every seven years, we, we are, all of our cells die and we're replaced. Um Yep. But again, you can't do it without having something in place. <laughs> <laughs> Good point, man. So that's uh, actually probably the model for it too. Is is the biological way that our bodies update themselves cellularly? Uh, right. That's probably how our social system should be adaptive as well. There was some. Um, I can't remember where the guy was, but there was some. I want to say it was in the Middle East. Um, some like emperor or something that came into power and, and he told all of his people he, he wanted to establish his cabinet um, according to the stars and the way that the, the cosmos was arranged and um, that made for an interesting trip that I don't necessarily remember any of the details on but um, yeah. um, I think that it was based on astrology Um which is is another one of those things like gurus and we're, we're making all kinds of ends meet here yeah um, so uh it's one of those things that people including sam harris and ben shapiro uh maybe not ben shapiro, but, uh definitely sam harris i've heard yeah uh, dis discredit astrology and he doesn't even know he like openly he, he's almost displaying his um uh disinterest or he's displaying, he's pejoratively describing it. Yeah, um, along with alchemy. Uh, yeah, by showing that he doesn't know anything about it. He's yeah, like, rejecting it without considering it fully. Well, but, but what's more is that he, in the conversation, I don't remember which one, he, he made an error, like, jokingly... Um, to, to, to show that there was like no association that he could have with it. And then, you know, I'm, I'm reading into it, but um, a little bit, but I, I think I see what you're meaning. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. The, the look on his face made it sound like I, I know I don't know anything about this and I'm showing you, I don't, cause I don't want anyone to confuse me with having known anything about this. It's not even <laughs> worth knowing the actual data on. Yeah. But, What's what's interesting is is the further you get into it, and if you read it archetypally, but even if you like, instead of trying to figure out how things are not true, I woke up one morning and it was probably a little bit more dramatic than this, but I, I decided <laughs> to believe everything that couldn't be proven false, and so that was the really mm -hmm. the, an opening experience for me to explore things like astrology and the deeper i go the more it's like you know i still reserve the agnosticism nice but, um but to, to think of like how the moon's tides you know like it, it you know affects women's menstrual cycles which is huge you know right the population totally it, it affects you know the the, the tides and, and everything else and so if it affects the tides and it, it because it pulls the gravitational pulls water um and we're made up of 97 percent water or something um uh all of the stars around us um at the time of conception or at the time of birth um 
I, I couldn't say that, no, there's absolutely no way that they impact our lives. And so right. then you have somebody who you know as a Leo and you know a little bit about what it means to be a Leo mm-hmm. and you say, oh, well, this person isn't, you know, alpha um, or, or whatever, or someone who's a Taurus and they're not stubborn. Well, it's because, you know, each day has stronger or weaker, you know, elements of that. And then there's, it's not just what sign you know what month because i need imagine imagine that if everyone born in january um was a certain way and everyone born in, two, in february would was a certain way that right would be easy for science to say yep it's true right but it is a much more complex system than that um and so uh yeah it's it's something that's easy to dismiss particularly because there's a, a community to support the dismissal um, mm-hmm. particularly the, the scientific community and the religious community. And so, so it almost seems that's, that's where my, um, I've always had a little bit of pride in sticking up for the underdogs, but, um, that might be it too. Yeah. That makes sense. The, the alchemy and the esoteric, um, and, and, uh, occult, um, traditions have, I have a soft spot for because they're hated by everybody. They're not accepted by any of the religions, nor scientific community, nor atheists, or you know, so they they really only have each other. Um, but that's why, honestly, you just find this the most strength. Like it's just in, incredible to to um, to to learn what we knew before science knew it. You know, the the ancient Hindus knew. Um, I was just listening to Madame Blavatsky. Have you ever heard of ah, her? Yeah, yeah. Um, another charlatan. Um, but, Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, no, she really was a charlatan, but yeah. she really was um, a great mystic, same, similar to Aleister Crowley. Right. Uh, and she um, was talking about how the Hindus um, and the Vedas were talking about the sun, um, how the sun doesn't set. And you're like, what do you mean the sun doesn't set? And he's uh-huh. like, the sun rises on the other side of the world. That's all. It doesn't set, you know. Yeah, it's a constant... Like, <laughs> rotation but they had to have known that the world was that the earth was round right and then pythagoras definitely knew the the earth was round and then you know maybe it was as simple as the destruction of the library of alexandria but either way Mm. we lost all of this information and didn't discover it until you know copernicus um and galileo and and geodorno bruno right um, who who was a an alchemist that dude um, was wasn't newton like as a hobby interested in alchemy uh, more than just a hobby okay but yeah yeah he actually has equal if not more works in alchemy um that he had did for 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 uh science but that's but that's it i mean you you think of um you can uh, even think of that as like his subconscious uh scaffolding that was used to inform his conscious scientific pursuits right right well like, it, and the thing is science, alchemy is science i mean it was it was a it, precursor at the very least yeah um and and philosophy and there was a time where it was yep. all one and then individual branches i mean aristotle was kind of the first biologist you know looking, right getting down on his hands and knees and and saying this beetle kind of looks like that beetle but there's something different but there's a lot in common and yeah and, um, and now we have chihuahuas and great Danes. <laughs> exactly, man. It's good. So you brought it right back to that now. Right. Yeah. Because that was a really nice circumambulation right there. Like, <laughs> uh, I think I followed you most of the time. And uh, like you've, you've characterized yourself that way and with those expressions before. But mm-hmm. I, I must say that it's getting better in terms of uh, I do see utility in all that you expressed. I do see being kind of that underdog champion of the esoteric yeah. as not only a, a space that has a necessary plug-in to the theoretical basis of what it is that we're all trying to get that scaffolding on. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like even with the Newton analogy where I'm like, perhaps alchemy is the way that newton's mind needed to think in order for it to be more scientific to his conscious kind of waking self so, yeah, and the way that that makes sense is because 
um, the, the physics that he was doing all exists outside of him, you know? Right. And alchemy was the psychological work that he was doing internally to support that. Right. You know, and then all that transmutation and transposition and uh, transformation really is like when you look at what it was that got upgraded from Newton's laws to Einstein's discoveries, mm-hmm. uh, Newton's laws still worked within the frame of reference that they were uh, yeah. discovered in. It's just there was something that was superior and that worked on larger and greater scales and that That's still cool. continues to bear fruit. Right. But yeah. So I mean, they they thought it's not that, that they thought that, that they were complete. We'll say good. Uh, they thought that science was complete. You know, that physics was complete with Newton. Right. Um, and then all of a sudden, Niels Bohr and, and Einstein come along, and um, yeah. quantum physics it blows it out of the water. And I think they they said something about um we've we found the tail of the lion kind of thing. Where yeah. You know, and now they would have said uh, the rabbit hole. You know. Or, Totally, yeah. Just keeps on giving way to a right. deeper and deeper quicksand. Well, and, and that's it. That's the that's the hermetic principles there um, of uh, you know solve at coagula is dissolve and um, and and coagulate, put back together, and so you have it's scalable, and so that's why mm. the fractals, like we were talking about last night, the fractals on a microscopic level, or you know represent. Uh, or, or, or mimic the the, the solar systems, um, right? It's really so? surprising okay. and really not surprising at the same time. It's just surprising that it's not ingrained in in everybody that this is the way that the, world, the universe works. You know, it's just when you discover it for the first time, it's like, oh my god! Yeah, it's such a mind blow at the first yeah. glance at it. Yeah. Yeah, dude, that's the thing, though, that like perhaps that's where we're trying to appeal to is that that fractal underpinning that we seem to think is natural, at least within us, like and or those that are on the same uh, path trying to figure out themselves and how we relate to uh, our environment Mm -hmm. at the very like most conservative way of putting it. 